Hey, uh, so we're back in our uh, What is Church series looking through the book of Ephesians, and we're finally to chapter 4. We've made it through the first three chapters, and we're in chapter 4, and we're going to be uh, tackling the first 16 verses of chapter 4. We're breaking it down at this point and getting uh, even smaller portions of, of Scripture. And what's more is that even within this smaller portion of Scripture, there's still more to be taught and preached within these 16 verses. Uh, you know, there's at least a couple sermons in this thing, so, uh, but we're, we're going to cover it all in one. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, we're going we're gonna to read the first 16 verses of 14. And since we're only doing 16 verses today, I'm going to have you stand up with me in honor of God's word. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith and one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Praise be to God for his word. You can have a seat. So you'll remember what's going on with Paul. Paul is the guy who's thrown his life at furthering the gospel, at building churches all across the known land and spreading the kingdom of God. And yet now he's locked up in prison. And there's nothing he can do except for basically two things. He can pray for all these people and these churches that he's planted, and he can write letters. Thank God that he got put in prison because now we have something to talk about this morning. You know, the book of Ephesians is here because he's in prison. It's, it's just a reminder at the front end of this thing about sometimes we have no idea what God's actually up to. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes our lives, it just looks like, what are you doing, God? Like, wh- why is it so crazy? You know, why is life the way it is right now? I don't understand. This doesn't seem like your plan. This doesn't seem, and yet God has a great plan. He's working at something, you know, he's figuring something out right now. And it's a beautiful thing. So here Paul is, and he's in prison. And he has a deep heart and deep passion to see the kingdom of God go forward. And he writes to the, the, uh, the church in Ephesus, but really to the known Gentile world. And he writes to, to the entire known Gentile world. And the first three chapters were him reminding them and explaining what the foundation of church is. 
And we, we talked about in the last two message, messages, church is those who are in Christ because the risen Christ is all there is. There's not a bunch of people who are good and redeemed. Like, it's not that. It's, it's Jesus. He's the one who rose. We all died. When he rose up, all there is is Christ. And those of us who are part of the church are those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then you're not truly in church. You might be a member of a local church, but you're not actually church. Church is those who are in Christ because there's only Christ who's approved by the Father. And so we, we are found in the church if we are found in Christ. And secondly, that results in us being in community. What happens is, is our, our whole identity shifts and we're no longer just individuals. We become a part of the family. And as we learn to love the family, we, we find that it got, it God changes and the family becomes more important to us than even our own unique lives. And so the church is those who are in Christ and those who are in community. And that's what Paul's been laying out for the first three chapters. And now he says this. As he's sitting here in prison, he's laid all that foundation. And it's almost like the scribe is over here, the guy who's, you know, writing it down for him. It's, it's like he's sitting over here. And Paul, I picture him just kind of like walking away and kind of like stopping and taking a breath and just looking over at the wall in his cell, you know, and saying, so as a prisoner of the Lord now, after telling you all that, I'm in here and I can't do a thing anymore other than pray for you and write this stuff. But out there, I can't do a thing. So I urge you, you who are out there and still have life to live, I urge you, live a life that's worthy of this calling that you have received. Live a life that's worthy of it. What does that mean? I mean, are we actually deserving of this calling? What is the calling? The calling is to be the glorious people who reveal and spread the glory of God. Are we worthy of that calling? We don't deserve that calling at all. The whole point is that it's grace. So what is he talking about when he says live a life that's worthy? Well, he's not talking about it from our vantage point. Like, are we worthy? Are we deserving? He's talking about it from God's vantage point. God came and redeemed us and saved us. And he sent his son on the cross and did all this work to bring us into him and into the community. And now he's saying, make it worthwhile. Like God did all of this. Live a life that makes that calling worthwhile. Because God went through all this trouble, now you have a life to live. You can spend the life that you have, but make sure you take advantage of the calling that God has placed on you. And it's this, and it's this exhortation from Paul where he shifts from just talking about who we are, and he begins to encourage us to do something. You see, up till now, he's used a metaphor of the temple. Remember that picture of the temple that he, he said, we're the temple of God. We're all like stones. Each of us are stones, and we're being built together. And the temple is kind of like where heaven meets earth. And God's presence dwells in the temple. And those who wanted to know God, they would come and worship him at the temple. And the point is, is that as he changes us, and as he makes us loving people, and as our identity shifts, and we're not in, in competition with each other anymore, now we're on the same team and we're working together, what happens is in this community, in this family, we begin to reveal the very characteristics of God, the glory of God. And so in us, God dwells on earth again. And what he's saying is, make that calling worthwhile. Work it out. Don't just sit back on your laurels. Like, he made it possible for us to reveal the glory of God to this world. Now, let's get her done, you know? Let's make this happen. Okay, now that, now that he's done this, we have all the power, everything we need in order to reveal the glory of God to the wor world around us. Now live a life that's worthy of that. Work it out. And so what he does is he switches metaphors. And instead of talking about family and talking about the temple, 
Now, as you heard in this passage, he says that there's a body. All of us are joined and held together. It's a body. We're all joined and held together by ligaments and and all these things, and we're connected to Christ, who is the head. And so now I'm not only a stone who's a part of a temple or a family member who's sitting around the fire and enjoying the presence of God and enjoying the relationship with each other. Now it's a body. Why does he switch to talking about a body? The reason is because the body is alive and it's active. It's not just stones in a temple. This thing can move and it can breathe and it can lift and it can push and it can get stuff done and there's a heart that's beating because in the, in the body of Christ, we are called to die to self and only be found in Christ. And we are called then to not be our own but be a part of the greater community. However, that community is to move and to breathe and to get stuff done. We're actually called to accomplish something. This is the body of Christ. Christ wants to affect this world. He wants to touch this world, and he makes us now the parts of the body who can affect and touch and change this world. There is a call on each of us not only to go up and be in Christ, not only to go in and be in community, but also to go out to go out as the body of Christ and be in mission. So the church is those who are in Christ, those who are in community, and also those who are in mission. That's what, th- these, are, these are DNA strands in the church. That it, it's, it's Christ and Christ alone. And that looks like a glorious community, and it looks like something that's in action and getting something done. Think of it in terms of a family business. Now, if you have a family business, Don't think of it in terms of a family business because you know the reality of what that looks like in this world. But think of an ideal family business, okay, where dad can be completely trusted. You know that everyone wants to do what pleases dad and whatever it is that dad's saying the mission is, we're going after that because you don't have to worry about whether dad's just ego tripping. You don't have to worry about whether he's just greedy or something like this. You know that what dad wants is the well-being of the family. So the whole point of this business that he's creating is for the purpose of benefiting the family. And so there's two ways that God wants his business, so to speak, to benefit the family. First of all, it's an incredible team-building exercise. You watch the whole, in this whole passage, what he keeps saying is that the body of Christ will be built up until it reaches full unity. The whole point of the business, so to speak, the, the mission of getting something done is that when we have a common purpose, we go after something together, it becomes a team-building exercise. And that's the point. You know how if, if you want, uh, if, if you've ever been through a team-building exercise, you give a team, a bunch of different people, you give them a goal, a very difficult goal that's kind of challenging, and you say, all right, you've got to figure out how to work together in order to get this goal done. And the whole idea is you try to set something up where you have to depend on each other, and you can't do it on your own, and there's the goal. So there's no heroes in here. All there is is it only works if you learn how to work together. Now go, okay? Now here's the problem, of course, is that we're not in an ideal world, and we have self-interest, and we have insecurities, And so what happens is, oh, there's a family business. Well, that's cool because I want to manipulate the resources in order to do this. This is something I've always wanted to do because what ends up happening is is if I don't think that God or dad knows what's best for me and has my best interests in mind, then I have to take care of myself. So then my resources and my life, I'm going to figure out how to get things done in order to make me happy, the pursuit of happiness. And I'm going to go after that. So now when it comes to this family business, I have an agenda and I have an idea of what needs to be done. Well, the person over here has their agenda too. And they have their idea of what's going to make them happy and what's going to work. And pretty soon you have competing agendas. 
And now all of a sudden this team building exercise that, that God put out there for us all of a sudden can become the catalyst of a broken home where we have competing agendas and we're at odds with each other. Why? Because we, it's not about him. It's about our own agendas and we don't trust him. Another way we don't trust him is our own insecurities. I don't know if, if, if this person's doing this thing over here and maybe they're doing it better than me and get into the whole competition thing and all of that again. And, and we have to be grounded in this thought and this reality. The dad is good. And dad knows what's best for me. And he loves me just the way I am. My performance means nothing. It really doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. His love isn't going to change based on my performance. And my agendas, whatever I think is going to make me happy, isn't going to make me nearly as happy as whatever his agenda is. Because he knows how I'm created and what's good for me. And as I learn to trust him, and as we work on this project together, and we're all trusting him, something happens. We go toward that common goal, and we begin to, to work in unity. So it's a team building exercise. Now, there's a warning, and that warning along those lines is that, listen, you remember what the purpose of God's purpose was. We had the whiteboard out here a few weeks ago. So the purpose, God's glory. The choice is us to be the glorious people, to, to spread his glory. The problem, we can't do it. The solution, the gift, the provision is Jesus. We're found in Jesus. We can begin to live as the glorious community and reveal his glory. Now listen to this. The reason why mission becomes the last thing in this set of three that he gives us is because we are so addicted. This is our problem. We're, we so much want to get something done so we can feel good about ourselves. Like anytime we're insecure, just get, do something good and then you feel better about yourself because you feel like you're, you're worth more at that point. And so what ends up happening is all the time in the kingdom of God or in business or whatever, what ends up happening is, is someone goes and tries to accomplish something, but they have to step over someone else in order to get it done, you know? And they can actually hurt the person next to them in order to accomplish something. And in the church, we can say it's for the glory of God. And we violate the very values of the kingdom of God in order to accomplish the mission of God. And when we do, we crack the very purpose of God to reveal his glory. Because now, here I am, and I'm going to win souls for Jesus, but I'm going to be rude in the process. Or I'm going to get something done in the church, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to be impatient and struggle and be rude to the person next to me and not actually have affection for them. Well, the glory of God's not going forward anymore because his character's not being revealed. And I might be feeling like I'm accomplishing something so I can pat myself on the back, but the glory of God isn't actually being accomplished. It's not spreading at this point. I've, I've violated the very purpose of his kingdom in order to achieve a mission, because I didn't realize how much he already loves me. I don't have to prove anything to him. And so that's the family business comes with that warning, that God wants this to be a team-building exercise, but the problem is it can also be the catalyst because of our own selfish ambition for a broken home. So the one reason why he wants to do, give us this mission is to unify us. It's a team-building exercise. But secondly, God actually does want us to get something done. He really does. He wants the church to get something done. And so all throughout the passage, there's a, there's a picture here of God calling us toward achievement, toward doing something, accomplishing something. And so in a, <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> that's the first time I've heard him in a service. He's cute. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So um, that's one of the cutest kids. Isn't he so cute? Landon's just a cute little kid. Um, I digress, yeah. Uh, where was I? So in, in, in any family business, there is 
goods that we're supposed to produce. And we seek to uh, produce those goods, and then what do you get in return for the goods? Yeah, yeah, you get money. And what's the money for, ideally, in the family business? It's to support the family, it's to put food on the table, shelter, maybe even college education, whatever, you know? This is the point, is that even, even if you're completely focused on family, you still have to make a profit, right? It doesn't work unless you're making a profit. And it's no different in the kingdom of God. Honestly, it's no different. In the kingdom of God, he calls us to be productive. And we're to produce goods. What is it that we're supposed to produce? Anybody know? Fruit? Okay, great. One of the things we're supposed to produce is the fruit of the Spirit. What else are we supposed to do? Produce. Followers, disciples, disciples of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations. What are we making? Disciples. What are we producing? The fruit. What else? What's James tell us? Faith without works is what? Dead. So we're the body of Christ. But if we're not producing good works, then what are we? We're dead. You know why? Because if we're not producing works, then we're not in Christ. And therefore, we're not really truly a part of the body. And the body of Christ never dies. But if we're not producing, then that means that there's not life within us because you can't help but produce when you're connected to Christ. When you're connected to Christ, this is the picture we talked about last week in John 15, when it's like the, the branch that's connected to the vine, that's drinking deeply from the vine, it's going to produce fruit. There's sap flowing through the, the vine. And what's happening is, is this where Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are thirsty, and out of you will flow streams of living water. If I'm connected to Christ, if I'm in Christ, I don't have a choice but to produce fruit. That's what's going to happen. I'm gonna, there's going to be good deeds. There's going to be fruit of the Spirit. There's going to be disciples that are coming out of me. I'm going to be productive, not because I'm working hard at squeezing every ounce of life out of that branch, but because I'm drinking deeply from Christ. And flowing out of me now is the work of Christ. And that's what's happening. So our call is to actually produce the works of Christ the goods, the works of service, the acts of Christ, the acts of compassion, to take care of, of the widow and the orphan, to love all and especially those in the body of Christ, to make disciples, to produce the fruit. Now, in a business, you produce the goods and what do you get in return? You get money. In the kingdom of God, you produce these goods and what do we get in return? Heavenly treasures. Perfect. Okay, so after we do all this stuff, we go to heaven and we're given, what are we given? A crown, okay? A crown that gets put on your head. Like here, here's a crown, glory. And what do we do with the crown? We give it back to God. And what's the purpose of the kingdom of God? Glory to God. You see, what happens is, is this whole business cycle, the business plan, it works great. If all of a sudden we drink deeply all the love that we can afford from God and it produces out of us these good works and then a crown is given to us where it says that people will see your good works and they will glorify your Father in heaven. When we do these great things, all of a sudden the glory of God goes forth. People see the goodness of God through our actions and it comes back to a crown that we give to God because we know we can't do it. It's all you. And that's the business plan in the kingdom of God. And the currency in the kingdom of God is glory of Christ. Because it's the whole point is the glory of Christ. So the whole currency, the way we know if the kingdom of God is working through us, is real simple. Is God getting glory or not? 
That's it. In a business, you got you got you have measurements. You know, you, ha, you, you each quarter, you know, you got to see if you're hitting your marks to see how much money's coming in and all of that. In the kingdom of God, it should be the same thing. We should stop and look every now and then and say, "Is God getting glory right now?" You know, is there stuff happening all around us that we look at and we're like, "Whoa, that was God." Oh my goodness, did you see how that person just sacrificed their own selfish desires in order to see this other person benefit? That was glory to God right there, you know? And we should be able to measure how God is moving around us and in us and among us and say, kingdom of God is working, it's functioning, things are good, it's thriving, business is good in the kingdom of God. And if we are a part of Christ, if we are found in Christ, and if we are in community, we will also be in mission. We will also be people producing the goods in the kingdom of God. Now, a dilemma around this is that we aren't in a real world. We're not in, a, in an ideal world. In the last two weeks, I've had at least six interactions with people who have marriages that are just completely devastated. It may be, you know, they're on Facebook with an X. One of them was on Facebook with an X. It may be that, that uh, you know, uh, there's uh, addiction issues that are sh- making a marriage struggle. It may be that there's a mixed family and they don't know how to figure it out together. They come from different backgrounds and they can't figure out how to get together. Faith issues that are really struggling. And, and at, the, at the end of it, what ends up happening is, is that we're supposed to be productive for the kingdom of God. But we can't even get to the place where the unity, the community is happening. We're supposed to be in mission, but we can't even get in community working. And why? Because we're not completely in Christ yet. And so we have our own selfish ambitions. And we have our own insecurities. And we have our own agendas. And then when we come into relationship with each other, it struggles because what you need and what I need aren't in the same place and we're smashing against each other. And it doesn't get to the place where the intimacy is just being birthed and working and we never get beyond the struggle of the relationship to actually learn to be productive together because we haven't been found completely in Christ. And it's a struggle It's a real struggle. And you watch Paul comes back and what he does is that the the metaphor he uses of the body of Christ is at the end of this passage. But he starts the whole passage. He comes back and he wants to show us how to get there. And so in verse 3, it's beautiful. This is what he says in verse 3. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit. What's the Spirit? What's the spirit? Is that like a spirit, like a mentality? Keep the unity of the mentality, like a spirit, like we all have a common spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's the unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. The unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. Peace is a fruit, isn't it? It's a fruit of what? A spirit. So there's one place where we can be unified. And it's through the power of God. And the whole struggle here when it comes to our, we're not unified and we're not productive is because we're still leaning on ourselves and we're not in God. So what he does is he gives us, this is pretty interesting. You would expect if, if Paul's wanting us to get to a place where we're really loving each other and we're in unity, that what he would do is he'd explain to us, all right, this is how you love each other. This is what I need you to do in order to care for each other. This is how you effectively do stuff in the kingdom of God. But he doesn't. Instead, what he does is, is he tells us all about God. 
which is a little bizarre. Why does he just stop and tell us about God? Well, watch in verse four through six. In verse four, he says there's one spirit. In verse five, he says there's one Lord. And in verse six, he says there's one Father. What's that a picture of? The Trinity. Why does he give us a picture of the Trinity here? Well, the reason is because remember what it is that we're trying to reveal? The very character and essence of God. And so when it comes to to being unified, to being a team that works together, give me a better picture than the Trinity. A better picture than the Trinity. Three completely separate individuals, and yet all just one. That is the very definition of unity. Probably the word unity can be defined by saying, this is an attempt at describing the Trinity. Unity is an attempt to describe the Trinity. That's what unity is. An attempt to describe the Trinity. And we don't have the ability to actually do that on our own. We actually need him. And so what he's saying is, is that this is the God who's at work among us. And you need to see how each member of the Godhead, each part of the Godhead reveals things that are necessary for us in order to be this unified people. And so at first he says, there's one spirit, there's one body, one spirit, and one hope, just as you were called. So we are called, what are we called to? We're called to be one body, and it only can happen because there's one spirit. It happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. If I'm looking at you, and I'm saying, I know I'm supposed to accomplish something in the kingdom of God, but but Becca, I need you to do this in order for it to work. And, and Becca's looking over at Chris and saying, yeah, but I need you to do this in order for it to work. And we're all looking at each other and saying, are, are, are you going to help make this thing work? That's called codependence is what that's called. Where I need something to happen and I'm looking at someone else to, in order for it to happen. And here's the other way. The other way is if I come over here and I say, I got this, I'll do this. That's independence. So there's independence and there's codependence. But what is laid out for us very clearly is that there's one body and there's one hope and it's found in one spirit. That the only way we can actually get anything done is not in independence and it's not in codependence. It's in dependence on God. A common dependence on the Holy Spirit where we sit there and we look to Christ where instead of looking at each other and blaming each other for what's not happening or instead of looking at myself and saying, I got to get this done and I separate myself from everyone else because my eyes are on myself. Instead, I'm looking at the Spirit and saying, we can't do this except by you. And as we all look to the same source for power, what happens to us? We become unified. And then after the Spirit in verse 5, it says, there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. One Lord and one faith and one baptism. What's this about? Who's the Lord? Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. And what does it mean that he's the Lord? It means that he's calling the shots. Now, I want to ask you a question. If we're doing good works and if we're, you know, we're showing works of compassion and all of that, are they works that we do for Christ? Or, let me give you another option, are they works, the works of Christ that are done through us. There's a real question, huge difference between these two, whether we do works for Christ or whether Christ does works through us. Because at the end, here's a question, if I'm actually doing the works for Christ, then how does the glory get back to Christ? Because I'm the one who's doing it, not him. But I can't do it. It's the work of Christ that's happening through me. You see, it says there's one Lord and one faith. It means there's one person who's calling the shots. And this word faith is a relational word. It's not just a religious word. It's a relational word. 
It's about dependence, about trusting. It's who's calling the shots here. Who's calling the shots of my life and of our church? Is it me? No, there's one who calls the shots. There's only one Lord. What that means is what my desires are, what I think is best, what my intentions are for my life and all of that, it's irrelevant. There's only one brain. There's only one mind. Think about this. We're a body. We each have different parts. There's only one brain. But imagine if my finger and my leg each had a mind of their own. Imagine if my two legs each had a mind of their own. And my one leg right now decided that it was sick of carrying this weight. And my other leg was like, no, it's cool. And the one leg decided to sit down and the other one didn't. I don't know how that would look, but it wouldn't be pretty. You know, like if one tried to sit down and the other one did. Imagine if my back was really itching and my finger decided that it didn't feel like scratching. You know, I'd be, that would be a problem, you know. And there, what happens is, is in the body of Christ all the time, in, the, in what we call the church, there's way too many minds. There's way too many intentions. There's way too many wills. And our lives go here and they go there because we're self-sufficient, independent with our own minds, trying to achieve things. And sometimes there are things that we're doing for Christ. You know, I'm trying to achieve this for Christ or trying to do that for Christ. And yet we're not in common because we're doing things for Christ instead of Christ doing things through us. And we each have our own mind instead of having one common mind, which is in Christ. And why is that? Well, the last word tells us. It says, there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. What's baptism? I was saying in the first service, behind these, underneath of these guys back here on the soundboard is a trap door. And there's, a, um, there's water down there with ver- ferocious spiders that hang out down in there. When we, whenever we open it up for baptism, you've got to clean that thing out. Man. It's, and, uh, and that's the baptismal pool. And... Um, if Greg and Josh or whoever else is back there get out of line, just tell me I have a button, you know? And uh, we, we just rebaptize them. That's all that goes on. Uh, see, what baptism is, what's the symbol of baptism? We turn all these chairs around and we fill that thing up with water and we take people and, and they get plunged under the water and they come back up. And what's it a picture of? It means that when Christ dies, I die. And when he comes back up, I'm still dead, but he's alive. And I'm only alive in Christ. And I no longer live, but the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So there's only one who lives. See, my finger is not its own. It's Tim's finger. I might be a part of the body of Christ, but I am not my own. I am only one member of of a body that is Christ. And only his will matters. And only his mind matters. And only his intention matters. And anything in me that's independent and that comes up with my own ideas about what would be good and what would work, that is not church. That's not Christ. Those of us who are, who are truly church are those found in Christ. And so the parts of me that are still out here doing my own thing, that's not church. That's not Christ, you know? And when we, we come, become more unified when we have one mind, So there's the power of the Spirit that unifies us, the resource that we look to. There's the mind of Christ that guides us. And then in verse 6, he says, there's one God and one Father who's over all, through all, and in all. Uh, I think I got them backwards, but yeah, over all, through all, in all, something like that. Uh, Who is over all, through all, and in all. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, And so there's one dad. And here's here's the thing about the dad, about the father, is that what does dad do? Dad is the protector. Dad is the provider. Dad is the one giving the attaboy. 
And when it looks, this is the idea, is the source of power is the Holy Spirit. The source of leadership is Jesus. And then right here with the Father, he's the one watching over, protecting, providing for us, giving us the pat on the back and assurance. And again, we're not looking for approval from one another. We're not trying to prove anything on our own. We're not trying to protect ourselves or provide for ourselves. We have a Father who takes care of all of that. And the baptism is the whole idea about whether I've just let go of being in charge of my own life and understood the Spirit as the source of power, Jesus as my leader and my mind, and the Father as the one who's providing for me, protecting for me, and affirming me. And when I get to that place, something can happen as a body. We can become unified. Now, as he works to get us to this place, this is what's available to us, is this is God actually working through us. And that's why he teaches us about God in this moment, is to say, it's not about your efforts here. It's about this God who's revealing himself, and he's doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit, the leadership of Jesus, and the provision of the Father. And and that's what he's revealing to us, saying, there's confidence in this thing. It's God Almighty who's working this out. And then in verse 7, he tells us specifically how he brings us into the mix. I love this. In verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. So here's the picture. There's a big battle that wages, okay? And there's two generals who face off, and they have this huge war. And at the end of the war, the one... The one general is completely victorious and he takes all these people who were in the other kingdom and he takes him, them with him and it says he leads all the captives in his train. So now all these people who were a part of this other kingdom are behind Jesus and he's taking them with him and then he stops and he turns around and it says he gives grace to each one of them as he apportions it. How many times does a king give gifts to the people he's just taken captive? You know, this is a, this is a different kind of king. Something's going on. This is a picture of what happens at the cross. When Jesus fights against the enemy and we're all held captive by the deceit of this world and we're all independent and we're self-focused and, and we're all about ourselves and all this, you know, we're full of sin and we're led astray, he comes and he redeems us. And he dies on a cross and then he takes us captive. He purchases us and buys us and brings us with him into the kingdom of God. And then what he does is he turns around and he gives us each a gift. He graces us. And you know what that gift is? This is a beautiful thing. The gift, this undeserved gift we get is an ability for us to be a part of his work. Because otherwise, we can't actually do anything that benefits the kingdom of God. But he gives us this piece of grace. And what it is, is again, it's him working out this team building exercise. Where it's like, here, I'm going to give you my ability to do this. And you're going to get my ability to do this. And you're going to get my ability to do this. And we don't all get the whole, none of us get the whole package. Why? Because if we did, we'd go completely independent and rogue. You know, and we'd think, I got this. And we wouldn't need each other. And the whole point is to get us to work together. So he gives us each a piece of the puzzle, and then tells us, here's the goal, and you got to go after it. And then in, in uh, ver- verse 13, he says, this is so that we'll be built up until we all reach unity. And what he wants is, it says he rises to the heavens so that the, he fills the whole universe. And his point in the church is that as we come toward unity, he's revealing his glory all over the globe and all over the generations. That's kind of his game plan. Now, he says that as we work together, it'll build the, the body up. If I want to work out my, think about bodybuilding, okay? Howard, thinking about bodybuilding, right? All right, this one's for, this one's for you. And so uh, as, as you're thinking about bodybuilding, picture some, someone like bench pressing or doing 
you know, curls, trying to, say they're doing curls, trying to work out their bicep. Now, I only need one muscle to build one muscle. No, I need a lot of muscles to build one muscle, right? So if I want to do a curl, I need my forearm in order to grip that dumbbell. I need my shoulder and my back in order to stabilize so that I can work on my bicep. So if I want the body of Christ to be built up, what it means is, is that we all have to work together in order to build the other person up. And God makes it this way because he knows this, that eventually that will lead to unity. It says until we all reach unity. Why is that? Well, first of all, listen, there's three ways that he's building unity in us. First of all, is that we have that common purpose. Secondly, it's that we have the common source, which is God. So now we're working toward the same goal. We're looking toward the same place to receive what it is we need. But the third thing, this is where unity really gets cemented. When we learn to serve each other. When we serve the other person, unity starts to happen. You know why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Think about this for a second. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If I give money, if I purchase something, I care about it, right? If I spend time on something, I care about it. If I get on my knees and I serve something, I'm going to care about it. And so what God does is he makes it so that the only way we can actually achieve what we're supposed to in the kingdom of God is by serving the person next to me. And then it binds my heart to that person and it builds unity. Now here's the problem. And I want to speak to this. I want you to listen to me on this one, specifically here for Parker Ford Church. This is exit, all of this is exegesis from this scripture, and I'm just trying to reveal what this scripture says. But this one in particular, we need to hear, okay? So I want you to listen into this one. Is that if I come to church and I receive on a Sunday or at a Bible study everything I need, and then I go home and I read my Bible and I do good things and I live my life the way I'm supposed to, I am still not achieving the glory of God for the kingdom. Do you know why? Because on my own, I cannot reveal the beauty of the Trinity. We can only do that together. And we live radically independent lives. And I know so many people who go to church and they love God and they want to serve God and they want to reveal the glory of God. So they go to church and and they study their Bible and they'll listen to a teaching and, and they'll do whatever. And then they go their own separate way and work very hard at allowing the power of God to channel through them so that they can do what it is they're supposed to do. And yet the body is completely disconnected. That all we are is a place where we fuel up our gas so we can drive our cars in different directions and try on our own to be a picture of the beauty of God. And we can't do it because God isn't on his own. There's three in one. And yet we try to do it one, 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 one. Millions of us across the world trying to all be the perfect picture of God and we can't do it. You see, what we're actually called to do is get beyond our own personal spiritual journey and stop caring just how well I'm progressing in my faith and I'm supposed to start caring about how you are progressing in your faith. And the objective of God filling me up is not so that I can be better at what I do, but so that you can be better at what you do. Because this gift that he gave to me, it's not a gift that was given for me. It was a gift that was given for the body. I mean, what, what would happen if, if, the, if the preacher, you know, if, if God gives me a gift of preaching and then I take this and I go home and I just preach at my family all the time, you know, and I tell them the word and everything, but I never come back to the body and invest it into the body. Well, that wasn't actually a gift to the body then. 
You know, that's me using it on my own to build my own family and my own spiritual life. But the whole point is to submit it to the body and to give it to the body. And each person in this room, it says in verse 7, it says in verse 7 that Christ has given to each one of us grace as he apportioned it. That means that there is not one person in this room who doesn't have something that they should be investing into the body of Christ right now. There, when it comes to the kingdom of God, it is all hands on deck. There is no spectators in the kingdom of God. There are only parts of the body who are serving and connecting. And we can say that we're in Christ. And we can say that we're in community. But unless we're in mission, it is still not church. It is still not the body who is functioning, caring for the other person. We cannot live our lives independently and expect that we are fulfilling the purpose of God. That's not how we created it. And this is a very, very difficult word to hear in our society. It's a very difficult word. We're private people who kind of set the pace of our own lives. And we want to take all the truth of God and apply it to my life. But it's not my life that I need to apply it to. It's your life. I need to do whatever I can to serve, to help your walk with God get better. And we, I remember... Um, I told this once before, um, when I was first learning to play guitar better, um, Jim Swall, who sometimes is here playing, well, it's usually here, and sometimes is playing guitar with us, he was kind of teaching me at the time how to, how to play. And uh, he said, Tim, you got, you got to do something. When you're playing, don't think about your own instrument and listen to your instrument. Listen to everyone else's instrument. And if you listen to everyone else's, it'll mix the music right. Okay? So don't just focus on yours. You've got to listen to the other person's. And this is the way it works in the body of Christ. That if I focus on my own spiritual life, guess what? It's not going to reveal the glory of God. My job is to focus on your spiritual life. And what happens is, is my gift, it can't even function right when I just get independent over here. And what I see people do all the time is they say, all right, the, the body's not really ready yet for my gift and the way it would work well, so I'm waiting for the platform to be built for, for kind of my gift to work. So in the meantime, I'm going to go over here and live my life and do my thing independently. And when, when, when someone wants what I have, then I'll come and serve. And so we disconnect from the body. And that's not actually service. Service is this, is when no one appreciates my gift, and I don't even know what my gift is, it's that I've been found in Christ, and now what I care about is the community. And so I'm going to find any way I can to serve the community, whether it's my gift or my passion or not. It doesn't matter. This is my family. And what happens is, as I begin to love the family, and as I begin to serve the family, guess what I'm going to discover? I'm going to discover what God has actually gifted me to do. But if I sit back and think, this is what I'm good, and I'm going to wait until things get there to a place where I can dive in or my life's where it needs to be in order to dive in, it doesn't work that way. That's not how God designed it. The way we find ourselves is first by finding Christ, second by finding the community, and only within that context will we find ourselves. I know so many people who are very, very sure about who they are but are very disconnected from the body. And therefore, that means that our identity is still in our uniqueness, not in what brings us together. You understand what it is that I'm saying? The body is our identity. What happens is, is that my, my finger is, is not its own, you know? 
and I only figure out what I'm good at once I, I've lost myself and I've been connected to the head and I'm submitted to Christ. And then secondly, when I just decide to love on the body and when I love it, I begin to serve it and in the middle of that, I find what I'm actually good at. And that's when I find who I specifically am within the body of Christ. But first, I'm just a part of the body of Christ. And secondly, I care about all of you more than me. And thirdly, I figure out what am I specifically supposed to do within that? Does that all make sense? Now, the battlefield of this thing is actually the mind. And uh, so what ends up happening is that whole, that to say in, um, here, let's read it. In verse 14, it says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men instead in their deceitful scheming. See, what happens is, is whether or not we will be parts of the body that function appropriately is, is all about a battlefield in our minds. Again, that mindset of like, I'm going to be independent and live my life over here, that's deceit. That's what it is. It means that I think I'm actually living my good Christian life, but we're not yet revealing the glory of God because we're not revealing the, the Trinitarian relationship. And so that's a battlefield of the mind. And so what God does is he gives us something to help keep our minds in place. It says, I believe it's in, uh, let's see. What verse is it here? Uh, it says in verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. And so what he does is he recognizes that we're not actually going to get there on our own. We need to be rooted in Christ and we need to be rooted in community in order to accomplish what God's called us to. So he puts leadership in place. And there's a couple different deceptions about what leadership is about. The, the first is that, that in church that, you know, you kind of hire staff to do the work of the church. That like the, we're supposed to be productive, so you get the, the staff to get that stuff done, which isn't at all what the picture of the body of Christ is. It's that each of us are called to accomplish and, and do the work of Christ, and, and that the leadership is to help facilitate that. The second is that we think that in order to facilitate that, what the leadership's job is, is to help give you like the how-to, like how do I do this, to train you in what it is that you're supposed to do. Well, that doesn't make sense because God already gave you a gift to be able to do it. Each person has something that they can do without needing training as far as how to do it because it's a gift. God gave you the ability to do it. There's something in you that you can naturally do to serve this community. So what is it that the leadership is supposed to do when it comes to equipping people for works of service? It's that it's supposed to fight against the deceptions in people's minds in order to keep them tied in Christ and in community. That's the point. This is why in the scriptures it talks about the leadership of the church. What are they supposed to spend their time doing? Spend their time in the scriptures, in prayer, and equipping the saints. It means that the mind of Christ needs to be imprinted in the mind of the leadership. So that they're not thinking, how do I lead this church? All they're thinking is, what does Christ say? And then they're looking around and praying for everyone and asking, how is it that we are not connected to you and not connected to each other? Where are we going independent? Where are we still based in pride? Where are we still trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? Where is it that we're, we're not doing things right? And then we pray, and then the job is to help teach and confront and speak the truth in love, as it says in this passage. And what ends up happening is, is then God still is God. And he's still the mind, and he uses the leadership to make sure that everything is flowing through that mindset, okay? 
Now there's one last verse. This is the very first verse in this, in this uh, monologue from Paul as he explains how we get to become the body of Christ. It's in verse 2 of chapter 4. So basically what he's saying is, God's going to do this. You have the power of God. You have the leadership of God. You have the approval of God. He gave each of us gifts, and they're going to work together in order to accomplish what it is that he wants, and he's going to help administrate that and make sure that our minds are appropriately in place by putting leadership there to help keep us connected to Christ and to each other. However, however, God is a gourmet chef and not a burger flipper. Remember, we've talked about this, and so it means that it takes a long time for God to make stuff that's tasty and good, you know? And he makes incredible things. But it takes a while because people don't mature overnight. And as soon as one person's starting to mature, another person's invited into the family who's not mature yet. And since we're interdependent, we can only grow at the pace of the body, not just at our own pace, you know? And so we're all interdependent. And that means that this process is messy and it's slow and it hurts and it's painful. And that if I just say, all right, forget it. I'm going to do my own thing and come over here. Guess what? I'm no longer a part of the growth process and I'm deceiving myself. And I have to stay plugged in and stay connected connected, even though it's painful because I'm waiting on others to become what it is that God's trying to make them so we can work together. And so what does Paul say in verse two? This is what he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You see, in the, in the kingdom, in the body of Christ, we're only as good as the ligaments that bind us together. It says that every part of the body is joined and held together by supporting ligaments. You know, I could have a great, great bicep that couldn't do anything if the, if the ligaments that connect it to the forearm aren't working, then it's worth nothing, you know, absolutely nothing. And there's ligaments that bind us together. And you can be spectacular at what you do. And if you're disconnected with others and not in, in community, it's pointless in the kingdom of God. Straight up, completely and entirely pointless. If you're a super Christian who has everything locked down in your personal life, but you're disconnected from the body of Christ and you're not serving the body, honestly, when it comes to what Christ is trying to produce, it's pointless, it doesn't actually produce the Trinitarian glory of God. It doesn't reveal it. We have to be connected in order for the muscles to actually serve the body in a way that will reveal the glory of God. And so those ligaments are of all importance. Those relationships are so essential. And what we need as it's working itself out, as we have to work and be patient as God's doing this work, is we need relational grease. And you know what that grease is? It's humility and it's gentleness, and it's patience, and it's forbearance. It's waiting on God to work in each other. And we're all in this process together. And we all need to, to be patient with each other, and we all need God to work on us. And so we ask God, help me to be humble, because this thing's not about me. You know? It's really not about me. And I can wait on this other person and help me to wait, not just by disconnecting and going and doing my own thing, but to figure out how to actually care for them in the process. The easy thing is like, yeah, I'll wait, but I'm going to bounce, you know? And no, to wait with them, to wait alongside, to be serving as we wait with each other for the maturing that God is doing in us until we're all joined together. And this team-building exercise, God's bringing us together as we work toward the purpose to say we are a people who are going to produce 
the beauty of the glory of the Trinitarian God. And there are going to be works that we're going to do together that are just going to blow the minds of those around us. You know, we are, we're going to serve people in ways that others just look and they're like, what is that? And it turns to the glory of God, but it's going to happen at the pace of our relationships and the pace of our submission to God. And that's how it works. That's the picture of church. Church is those who are in Christ, those who are in community, and those who are in mission. Let's pray.